Amen. Man, it is good to be with you guys today, and uh, I know I always look forward to Sunday mornings um, with our youth and worshiping with you guys, and, um, and today, you know, in Ridge's absence, he and Tracy are visiting, visiting some uh, dear family friends down south. They're uh, getting to spend some time with them, and so um, in Ridge's absence today, to be able to spend time with you all, uh, we are taking a break from the book of Ruth. The uh, message this week was slated for marriage. So if you want marriage advice from someone who's been married for almost five months, find me later. I got you, okay? Um, no, for real, I'm so happy to be with you guys. Um, we're going to spend some time in Mark chapter 4 today. And uh, with a text that I know many of us are familiar with. And for, for my personal um, memory of growing up in a church... I, uh, I know some of y'all will be familiar, the old like, felt sticky boards that you put Bible characters on. This is one of those first stories for me, so I've heard it for a very long time. And my hope is that a new set of life circumstances um, going on in our world right now might be employed, might be put to use to help us see this scripture um, in a, a new light. Not in a way that it's never been seen before. No, it's God's word, but I think in a way that sometimes, sometimes life situations, sometimes our circumstances create um, kind of windows for us to experience God differently. Right? Have y'all ever been there before? I remember growing up asking my dad, um, he was, I mean, he, he was 42 when I was born, so he's got some age on me. And I remember thinking, like, how, did you, how do you still read your Bible? You're like 60 years old, you know? Um, no, but it's because, and I remember him telling me, he's like, Jeff, like, it's not going to, it's the same truth every time, but your life is going to um, experience it differently every time. And so uh, we're going through the mark with our students on Sunday morning right now, and it's been, it's been really cool just to track the life of Jesus. And um, we were actually in this passage a few weeks ago, and uh, when Ridge asked me to preach, I had something else in mind, but sometimes the Lord just pushes you to something. He says, hey, no, guess what? This is a, a Sunday school lesson for the whole church. So, are you guys with me today? Is that going to work? Amen. You see, um, like I said, the storms of life, they have a particular way about them. There are circumstances that are often beyond our control. They occur when we least expect them, when we're least prepared, and they reveal something to us about life. They reveal to us something that I think we know, but we don't always want to admit. They reveal to us that um, we are not in control. We always have a, um, a sense of control. You know, I, I, we're going to get lunch here after church. We have these things that we want to accomplish. And then a pandemic hits, <laughs> you know, or an ice storm. And you're like, no, I have no control. I can't even turn the water on at my house. You want to feel helpless? No, the, these circumstances of life, they prepare windows um, for us to reveal that we're not in control. And I've been reminded often that the control I feel isn't authentic. It's circumstantial at best. And it's a painful lesson sometimes to realize that we're not in control. And I think of it, you know, kind of like a, a sandpaper on a, a rough piece of wood or maybe an old piece of furniture. There's an old varnish that you need to remove. Um, storms of life, they kind of um, remove the varnish on our life. We get really good at, at putting this coating on that's shiny and in the right light. I look like I'm doing pretty good. Um, but on the inside, it might be a different story. 
And when life circumstances change, when you were thinking left and it goes right, and you fall off, you realize, oh, there is um, something being revealed to me here. And in that sense, I think storms can be a blessing. They can be a blessing to those of us who are willing to lean into them and learn because um, it opens a window for us to see how things really are. It clears out space for us to see um, what we often lose sight of, what we're often unaware of. You know, in our, in our passage um, today, my Bible has the heading, Wind and Wave, Obey the Master. And it's a great passage. We experience real terror along with the disciples in their circumstance. And I know we have a lot of choices lately, but I want you guys to think the last time you were fearful, the last time you were afraid, the last time you felt out of control. Think back with me. Um, it could be this weekend. It could be a couple years ago. A while back, I was driving back from Dallas. I had spent Christmas with my family up there, and it was one of those really like warm Decembers that happen all the time in Texas. <laughs> You're familiar. Uh, no, we had thunderstorms the day after Christmas, like spring thunderstorms, and it was terrible weather that day, and I was trying to drive home, and so it took me so long just to get down 35, and finally, a little bit past Hillsboro, getting close to Waco, um, it stopped raining, it cleared up, and I could finally drive closer to a normal speed. There wasn't really water on the road. It wasn't raining, and I was you know, eager to get home after time away, and coming into the north side of Waco... I came over this little hill, and then the road kind of went left, and my car just started floating to the right, and I hydroplaned, and don't tell Carrie Underwood, but I did not ask Jesus to take the wheel, okay? I clung to it tightly, and I was like, this is it. This is how I die, okay? And it's that slow motion moment, but also really fast paced because it happens, and thank the Lord, um, my car slid, and I faced the wrong way, and then I faced the right way. I ended up buried in the bar ditch because there had been so much water, I was stuck in the mud, which I was okay with at that point in time. Like, not on the highway. That, that works. No, that's a feeling of being out of control. Because nothing I wanted to do was happening. It's not what I was expecting. It's not what I was planning on. And in those moments, because we know they come for us all in life, we see um, how we respond to situations. We see um, maybe what our trust has actually been in. And so um, in Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41, we're going to see their circumstances. For the disciples, their storm of life was a literal storm. It can be anything for us, though, any hardship. The disciples felt as if their lives um, was at, were at stake. Their mission, their idea for what the future was going to be, all of this was threatened in this moment. And so we'll read this portion of Scripture and uh, we'll move into it, okay? Mark, thir- Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. On that day, when evening had come, Jesus told them, let's cross over to the other side of the sea. So they left the crowd, and they took him along since he was already in the boat. And other boats were with them. A fierce windstorm arose. The waves were breaking over the boat, so that the boat was already being swamped. But he was in the stern, sleeping on the cushion. So they woke him up and they said to him, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to die? Jesus got up. He rebuked the wind and he said to the sea, Silence, be still. The wind ceased and there was a great calm. And then he said to them, Why are you fearful? 
Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified. They asked one another, Who then is this? Even the wind and the sea obey him. Would you all pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we look to your word uh, this morning, Jesus, as we see your authority on display, as we see, um, gosh, just, um, God, the fragileness of humanity and our inability to believe you sometimes, I pray that um, even if this is a story that we are familiar with or we've heard a thousand times, that God, we would seek you in it now. God, that you would speak to us in our present context. God, that you would meet us where we are and that we would leave here, um, Lord, encouraged and, and rooted in you. Pray as we look to these words that um, you would speak, God, and we would listen. We love you, Jesus. We ask all this in your name. Amen. Verse 35, right off the bat, what does Jesus do? He sets their destination. He was their master. He was their, their teacher. And so uh, I don't imagine it was uncommon for him to say, hey, um, this is what we're doing today, y'all. Or, hey, we're going to go here now. And so he does this, and he tells them that we're going to cross over to the other side of the sea. Spoiler alert here, in the first verse, um, Jesus tells you the end of the story. He says, hey, that's, that's our destination. That's where we're going. If you're with me, that's where we're going to wind up. Jesus tells them their destination. And if we really listen to his words, we can see the outcome in life. Not for every situation and not all the time, but if we really listen to the words of Christ, if we trust the words of Christ, then we can see the outcome. He sets a destination And the disciples um, get swept up into worry here in a minute because they didn't trust him for what he initially told them. You know, in life, I think part of that is because we get used to people lying to us. We get used to experiencing dishonesty. And we get used to having our hopes brought up and then unfulfilled. And we have trust issues. I know for some of us, we have um, very important, influential people in our life who have misled us. That is a hurt, and that changes the way our brain works. And so I think for us as Christians, we have to take a step back and realize that um, maybe that happened in that situation. Maybe so-and-so wasn't honest with me. But we have to remember that Jesus is a man of his word. He is. That means we can trust him. That means he thinks through what he says, and what he says happens. And so for the disciples, that's the first lesson um, in this story is that uh, Jesus said it, we can believe it. If that's all we get today, go home remembering, if Jesus said it, I can believe it. Everything else might be sink and stand. It's not going to hold up, but if Jesus said it, I can believe it. And I think that's why some of our current narrative right now in our, in our church culture and in our political culture is kind of mind-blowing to me because we take way too much credit for what the kingdom is doing. We think... Man, if we didn't vote the right way or the wrong person gets in office or if I don't get to speak or if they don't, no. We have all this, it's laced with pride, this idea that we're in control and we're the ones that have to make it happen. The good news, it really is good news if we trust it. I'm not the deciding factor, y'all. Not in the kingdom of Christ. No, Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 16 um, that he was building his church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. 
Jesus tells them, I'm going to build my church and our enemy, they're not going to touch it. And so for what that tells me is that um, there is a job to be done, but I get to be a disciple in the boat and say, hey, oh, Jesus said we're going to make it to the other side, then I can trust him with it. He said the gates of hell weren't going to overcome his church, then I can trust it. I don't have to make up boogeymen or things that are going to f- cause fear or cause us to, to misbehave or take power into our own hands because it's his promise to make and it's his promise to keep. We're beneficiaries of it. We get to come alongside and experience it. But he doesn't say, hey, if Jeff doesn't do his job, this may not work out. That's not, that's not what he's saying. He says, um, hey, this is our destination. And if you are with me, if you are in Christ, if you're a part of his church, then you're part of something um, that is never going to fail because it is sustained by our King Jesus who has already defeated death. Amen? That's his promise to make. That's his promise to keep. And on that same note, when we think personally we're in a spot where um, I've fallen into sin again, or I made this mistake that I said I wasn't going to, I told people I was something and I really wasn't. When we feel like we are the liar in our story, he tells us something else in Philippians 1. He says that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus our Lord. So whether it's this church, whether it's your salvation and your walk with Jesus, we can have hope restored when we see things not going great because we know, um, hey, we might be in a storm right now. This may not be our best week. It may not be our best look. It may not have been our best year, but I know the outcome because Jesus told us what it was going to be. And so when Jesus tells us that we're going somewhere, it will save so much heartache so much grief in our life if we just take him at his word. He tells his disciples, let's go to the other side of the sea. Do we look to and do we trust Jesus to set the destinations in our lives? Verse 37, a violent storm arises. It calls it a fierce windstorm. A storm with enough wind with big enough waves um, to swamp the boat, to strike fear into these guys. I mean, this storm must have been pretty substantial. Okay, these are not landlocked Central Texas farmers like we are, okay? No, they grew up by the sea. A lot of them grew up fishing. Um, I feel like they've probably seen a storm or two out there before. They have experience with it, but it's still substantial enough where it strikes fear into them. They're not on Lake Belton. They can't see the shore from where they are. If they're out there in the middle of it, they're a long way off from home. It's, it's different. It's substantial enough to where it strikes fear into them. Um, they experienced this storm unexpectedly. They weren't planning on it. I don't, I don't think they just pulled out their phones and checked the radar before they left. Um, they left trusting that what Jesus said was going to happen. And next thing they know, um, he's asleep and they're about to die. Storms in our life come, they happen unexpectedly, and if we could prepare for them, it may not be that bad. (laughs) But guess what? A lot of times we don't get that opportunity to prepare for those things, do we? You know, maybe they're out there and they're remembering an old story about a storm on that sea and a giant fish and a disobedient follower. Y'all remember that one? That's a, a plug for the women's ministry. No, I don't know exactly what was in their mind, but what I do know is that they thought they were on the verge of death. 
Their hearts were not trusting in that moment. And even though they don't demonstrate the perfect trust here, the storm, it opens a window for us to gaze into. It opens a window for us to see. And when something is beyond our control, like they often are, um, who can we run to? Who can we look to? It's a Sunday school lesson with a Sunday school answer. Jesus, he was available to these men. Um, He was literally with them in the boat. And I know today, um, we're not walking around with the uh, incarnation of Christ, but he did promise uh, a counselor. He promised um, the Holy Spirit to us, correct? And so today, when we walk through suffering, um, like the disciples, we're not alone in it. We're not hoping that he looks back this way and sees what's going on. Um, No, I can trust that he's with me in that moment. I can trust that um, when I feel that heartache, when I feel that worry, he's aware. He's available to me. In verse 38, we see Jesus is asleep. I kind of imagine him like an exhausted parent at this point in time. He has a short window for a nap, and he's going to take it. (laughs) I mean, the text tells us they left in the evening. If you go back um, and look, you'll see he's busy teaching. He's busy healing. Um, He's got crowds around him all day. Some of the introverts in the room are like, that right there is enough for a nap if I have to be in a crowd for too long. No, he's on the boat. He's resting. And I love how the disciples barge in on Jesus. I, I don't know the type of boat they were on, um, but they didn't come in hesitantly. They were like, hey, hey, Jesus, if we're kind of... Uh, no, they run to his side. They shake him on the shoulder, and they're saying, hey, um, do you not care that we're about to die? Like a very dramatic teenager, maybe? I'm not sure. Um, do you not care? No, you don't care. You never care. Uh, no, do you not care that we're about to die? Like our boat that is keeping us alive is filling up with water and uh, we don't walk on water as far as we know. (laughs) No, do you not care that we're going to die? No, Jesus didn't have kids, but I guess I think he had a real taste of raising teenagers based on what I see. (laughs) You know, the Bible says um, that he suffered all things that we do. So I don't know, it's something to think about, okay? Um, No, Jesus is with them. And they ask him, why don't you care about what we care about? Have y'all ever felt that way? Have y'all ever felt that way? Like, hey, Jesus, this is actually a pretty big deal to me, and it seems like you don't care. You're asleep on the boat while we're about to drown. When we experience suffering, hardship, loss, challenge, sometimes we ask the same questions. I've been there. God, I've done all this for you. <laughs> I try to be a good person. We, we barter or we think... Um, I guess he just doesn't care. We're kind of like angsty spiritual teenagers sometimes. I'll admit it. (laughs) No, but lean in with me here because there's something really, really powerful about Jesus' response. What we learn here is that even though the disciples were terrified, even though they were worried, Jesus' plan and his promise, Jesus' plan and his purpose were never at risk. They weren't. What was at risk was the, the, uh, the disciples' concept of how things were supposed to go. That's what was being threatened in this moment. Not, not the will, not the purpose of Christ. What was being threatened in the moment was my idea for how he was supposed to make this happen for me. 
That was what was being threatened. And so when these extreme bouts of fear and worry and angst and doubt pop up in my life, it's rarely because I'm doubting his plan or his ability. No, when I sense that in my own life, um, what it reveals to me is that I've put too much confidence in my own plan. I've put too much confidence in my own ability, my own thought, and I see it failing. I see it crumbling. You don't have to live much life to see that, oh, when things are dependent upon me, they don't turn out as best as they could. So this fear, this worry, isn't because they think Jesus can't handle it. Really what it is is they're thinking, he's not handling it the way I would handle it. That's their worry. And even in our pride and even in our doubt and when I don't give Jesus credit, how beautiful of a picture is it that he's still available to us? Do any of y'all have memories of of growing up and, and waking up from a bad dream and you stumble through your parents' dark room and you shake mom or dad on the shoulder? That's the picture I see here of Christ. These are grown men doing grown men things and in their moment of panic and fear and terror, Jesus is, he's accessible to them. He is available. They're not stuck in the other room waiting until he notices. No, he says, hey, um, when you come to me, I'll listen. When you come to me, I will give you peace. You know, Dane Ortland, uh, he's a pastor and an author. He explains the heart of Jesus like this in his book. Um, it's called Gentle and Lowly. He draws this comparison of a doctor who has um, just years of training and experience. He has the ability, um, he has the heart to travel to this place to take care of these people. He gets other people involved, so they have finances. Um, they're set. They have the medication. He has other um, nurses and doctors assembled. They're going to go and they're going to set up a clinic and they're going to treat the locals of this area because they're sick and they're dying of a disease. So imagine this doctor. He gets his team together. He gets the funding. He gets set up. And the first day, they open their clinic and they invite people to come. And zero people come visit. I mean, they're stacking bodies. People are sick and they're dying. And there's help. There's a cure right here and people aren't willing to go to it. Day one, no one comes. Imagine a few weeks go by and these people, they're, they're dying, they're plagued with diseases, um, but they continue with their own methods for how to deal with the pain, with how to deal with the loss, and they're just not coming. Eventually, a few weeks after no one visiting, a desperate local shows up. Says, hey, can you help me? When that person comes for treatment, when that person finally comes and enters their clinic and says, hey, can you help me? I'm in need. What do you think the doctor and his team feel? What do you think they experience? Do they disparage the man for not coming sooner? Do they throw accusations at him? Do they decline help? No, they don't do any of that. You know what they experience? They experience joy because they're getting to do what they came to do. They wanted to treat. They wanted to provide care and medication. And they celebrate it because they're getting to do what their plan, what their mission was pointing to. And I think sometimes we get it wrong with our, our perspective of how Christ feels about our brokenness and our neediness. 
But I think Jesus is that doctor who posted up and said, hey, um, you're sick and you're dying and I have what you need. And when we bring that to him, it does not frustrate him. When we bring that to him, it does not exhaust him. He says, no, I have the resources, I have the ability to fix this. Dave Norton goes as far to say that that is the joy of Christ because what it means is he gets to be with us when he heals us of our sins. So don't, don't knock quietly, but go boldly to the great physician because he can heal our brokenness. He's accessible to us. You can wake him up on the boat and say, hey, um, it's getting kind of scary out here. No, they experience joy because they're getting to accomplish what they came to do. Jesus experiences joy um, when we bring our lives to him, when we bring our sin and when we bring our brokenness. Verses 39 and 40, we see the authority of Jesus displayed yet again. It says, He got up, he rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Silence, be still. The wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And then he said to them, Why are you fearful? Do you still have no faith? If you've been with us in Sunday school, going through the book of Mark, I'm going to step out on a limb here. Students, help me out. What's been the key we talked about this morning? Over and over again, what do we see from Jesus? Authority. Thank you. We see the authority of Christ. He shows authority in teaching. He shows authority in healing people who have physical aches and pains or illnesses. He shows authority in the spiritual realm as he casts out demons. And then in this instance, he shows authority um, over creation, (laughs) capital C. He's showing his authority. We, along with the disciples, we get to learn more and more of who this man, Jesus, is. It's funny, they ask him for help, and they ask why he doesn't care, and then they're kind of surprised when he's able to handle it. You know what that tells me? They're new. They're young believers. They're young in their walk with Christ, and they say, hey, I know you're supposed to help, and they're like, whoa, <laughs> I didn't know you were going to do that. No, this is, this is new to them. And Jesus asked them a tough but a telling question. He says, why are you fearful, and do you still have no faith? When I was younger, I used to, um, when I would hear these messages, I assumed that Jesus was just really kind of mad about it all the time. He's like, you don't get it yet. But I think, I think he's kind of like a coach or a teacher. Maybe there's some frustration there because like we just went over this yesterday. (laughs) But in reality, his goal, his desire is for them um, to learn the material. And so he's not asking the question to make them feel bad or to shame them. He's creating an opportunity for them to learn for them to learn from this mistake. He's helping them see what the root of their fear was. They had faith just in the wrong things, I guess. He said, hey, um, do you still have no faith in me? Because I can handle this. He's teaching them, and they don't realize it yet, but he's preparing them for a future without him being there. They don't realize it yet, but he's got this plan in mind. And he's not just saying, hey, we're going to the other side of the lake. He's saying, no, um, this kingdom is going to go into every corner of the world and reach people. And y'all are starting it. He's preparing them through this discipleship for what's next. He's saying, hey, um, I can handle it. You did the right thing by getting my attention. But next time, don't doubt me. If you don't want fear in your life, You relieve that fear um, by having faith in me, by having faith in the right thing. 
verse 41 might be my favorite part because we, maybe I say we, I assume sometimes that as the story wraps up that they're like high-fiving on the boat and they're like happy they're alive and, you know, oh, Jesus has done it again. That's not what it says, though. No, verse 41 says, And they were terrified, and they asked one another, Who then is this? Even the wind and the sea obey him. Jesus calmed the storm, but he didn't relieve their fear. You know what he did? He exchanged it. (laughs) They went from being afraid of um, lowercase c creation. They were afraid of the elements. They were afraid of what they were exposed to, and then they left being afraid of the one who controls it. That's a pretty good trade. If you come to church today and that happens, then you've done something, okay? Um, no, there's an exchange that happens because they come terrified and they leave even more afraid. But they're afraid of the right thing. Instead of fearing the storm and letting that fear control them, what they learned is what if we let the fear of our master dictate our response to these life circumstances? What if we let our understanding of who Jesus is and what he's capable of set the tone for how I'm going to navigate this instead of just reacting in fear every time? That's what happens whenever um, we understand and we hold the correct reverence for who God is. So, what does this mean for us today? As far as I know, none of y'all brought your boats here. That'd be some real good take-home application, you know. Uh, No, what does this mean for us today? How can this be applied to our present condition? And as we wrap up, and as the band comes back up, I have three things um, I want to leave with you today that I think encourage us from this passage. And really the question we ask is, as Jesus was on the boat with those disciples, as his Holy Spirit is with us now, if you are in Christ... What I need to ask myself is, how does the presence of Christ change the way we view, we enter into, and we navigate the hardships and the storms of life? Knowing that Jesus is present should change the way we respond to things. I don't know your current storm, your current situation, but what I do know is that they are universal. You might be smooth sailing currently, But life has its bumps. And they're not the same for all of us. But we can count on two things. We can count that we're going to experience some storms of life. And we can count on the fact that Jesus is in control of those two. What I want you guys to leave knowing today is that the presence of Christ is power for the believer. No, his presence is power for the believer. That means something. And his availability to us should instill confidence. Where there's fear, we need to be reminded that Christ is present in this situation and he is accessible to me because of what he did on the cross. Three things. First one, we can trust Jesus to accomplish what he said he would. Amen? We can trust Jesus to, to keep his promises, to accomplish what he said he would. When it comes to navigating things um, and how we serve the kingdom and how we, how we minister and how we evangelize, I think a good question for us to ask, a discerning question for us to ask is, God, in this situation, what is mine to do? What do you have for me? And what isn't mine to do?
Because I don't want to try to pull a string I'm not supposed to. No, seek God in it. What is mine to do in this situation? Second thing, right now in your life, who's on the throne? Who works for who? Like I said earlier, when doubt floods my heart and my mind, it's often because it's my kingdom and it's my throne that are at stake. It's my kingdom or it's my throne that crumpled beneath the pressure and now I'm having to go without. Even if you are in Christ, I think it's a daily thing we have to assess and say, hey, all right, today, who's calling the shots? Am I trying to call the shots and have Jesus support what we're doing? Or am I trying to step into what he has for me? Another way to think through it is, am I walking the way that he asked me to? Or am I asking him to bless how I walk? Because I want to call the shots. We can trust Jesus to keep his um, promises to accomplish what he said he would. We need to figure out and assess who is on the throne of our heart. Who's calling the shots. Third thing. When that trauma or when that hurt or when that um, storm comes up in your life. Instead of asking Jesus if he cares about what's on our heart and mind. He does. Instead of asking him, hey, why don't you care about this? Um, A disciple picks up his cross daily and says, um, do I care about the things that Jesus has asked me to care about? You know, a a quick physics lesson for you today. Not really, but in a space, the heaviest object in the room commands what everything else does. Okay, that's why all our planets in our solar system orbit around the sun. Okay, and so I think in our spiritual lives it's kind of the same way. Um, when I apply most importance and most weight to what I'm doing, I'm trying to be the center, and that's not how it's supposed to work. That's not how, how we're designed. And so when God, who is, um, because of who he is, the weight and the anchor and the center, everything else aligns itself properly outside of that. So for me... That's part of my dying to self. Instead of saying, hey, Jesus, why didn't you uh, bless this thing that I wanted you to? It's, hey, um, am I walking where you would have me walk? Because I can trust him with that. I can trust that um, there will be fruit where he leads me. I can trust that there will be um, success. I can trust that there will be um, what he has for me in that direction. And it may not be all gravy all the time. But I promise you it's better than our, our alternatives. Would you guys stand as I pray? Heavenly Father, um, Lord, we know that you are um, the anchor in our crazy life and you hold things together that we don't even think about or comprehend. I pray today, today, God, we would give you um, that respect and that honor and that diligence, that recognition that um, we are not in charge, we are not in control, and we don't get to call the shots, but Jesus, we relinquish that to you. I pray that any storms or any hardships in our church right now, God, that we would be reminded that you are present in, God, that you care for us and you are always accessible. I pray that you would draw us closer to you. Lord, if there's people who um, need to get things right with you, God, if we have people who um, do not know you as their Lord and Savior, Lord, would you draw them to you in this time? 
Lord, would you help us to trust your words and your promises because we know that you keep them? Father, would you speak to us in this time? In Jesus' name, amen.